Today on Hardwired. The vast bulk of Revelation is prophecy, future prophecy. There are those that contend that the book of Revelation has already been fulfilled. And I say, really, show me anywhere in history where a third of mankind was wiped out after a fourth of mankind being wiped out. Show me anywhere in history where all the oceans turned to blood and all the rivers and all the streams. Show me any time in history that happened. You are listening to Hardwired with Pastor Jeff Wickwire, the founder and senior pastor of Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Maybe you've noticed that our culture is pretty messed up these days, which makes people feel anxious and filled with questions. They want peace, but have a hard time finding it or making it last. Well, Pastor Jeff is going to share in the message today about how you can finally be filled with hope, security, and most importantly, that peace you're looking for. We know that you're going to enjoy the message, but you can also listen to it again or any of the messages anytime you would like at our website, hardwired.org. Let's get right to the message. Here's Pastor Jeff to tell us what's coming up today on Hardwired. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Hardwired. Thank you so much for joining us and making us a part of your very busy day. Well, on Hardwire, we've been going through the book of Revelation. I've loved teaching it as much as I know that you've loved hearing it because it tells us what is coming to this planet. John the Revelator was caught up into heaven and shown by Jesus Christ himself what would soon come upon the earth. And now we're seeing it and we're seeing so many things line up to fulfill what is found in the book of Revelation. But this time, we're gonna look at time no longer. John is literally going to be told that time is coming to an end. When will that be? Well, let's jump right into the book of Revelation, grab a Bible, something to write with, and let's see what John meant by time being no longer. Let's go. Let's just do a little recap here before we go further. Last time in chapter nine, we saw a terrible plague of locust-like creatures that were really actually demonic spirits released out of the abyss of hell to torture mankind for five months. Isn't that strange? Why five months? I don't know, but I know it's five months too long. Now, we also read that the Euphrates River has four angels posted there this very moment, right now, awaiting the day, the hour, and the moment they will be released to dry it up to make way for a great army. Is everybody with me? Because this is about the tribulation period. How long is the tribulation period? Seven years. It's divided into halves. Three and a half years by three and a half years. The first three and a half years are pretty different from the last three and a half years. The second three and a half years, the tribulation is truly awful, terrible. And um, we're going to get there as we move along. So keeping that in mind, we're now... Recapping chapter nine, we're about to be the, to the very center of the book. And we also noted that the world of the great tribulation period, the people of that time period are gonna be steeped in idolatry and rife with drug abuse, pharmakia, sorcery. That's what the Bible says. And now as we come to chapter 10, we encounter a mighty angel holding a small scroll. So here we are the middle of the book. Here comes a mighty angel. John writes, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. And see who this sounds like as we read it. Surrounded by a cloud 
with a rainbow over his head. His face shone like the sun, and his feet were like pillars of fire. Who's that sound like? Come on. Jesus. The Jesus we encounter in Revelation chapter 1. Just like him. So, I think it's him. As there was a solemn interlude in chapter 7, if you'll remember, between the 6th and the 7th seals. Chapter 10 is another interlude between the sounding of the 6th and 7th trumpets. Now, remember, 21 judgments are falling on a Christ-rejecting, godless world. They are the seven seal judgments, where the seal is open by none other than Jesus Christ. He opens the seven seals and releases what is in them. Then there's seven trumpets, followed by seven bowls of full of wrath. All right? So that's what we find in the book of Revelation. The vast bulk of Revelation is prophecy, future prophecy. There are those that contend that the book of Revelation has already been fulfilled. And I say, really, show me anywhere in history where a third of mankind was wiped out after a fourth of mankind being wiped out. Show me anywhere in history where all the oceans turned to blood and all the rivers and all the streams. Show me any time in history that happened. It never has because it hasn't happened yet. So most of the book of Revelation is future prophecy, future tense. Now chapters 10 and 11 are not only the middle of the book, but the very middle of the seven-year tribulation period. Now, as I've already said, a lot of people believe, and I do also, that the mighty angel we see in verse one is Christ himself. His features totally parallel the Christ we find in uh, chapter one of the book of Revelation, where we see the, the glorified, resurrected Messiah. He looks very different from the Jesus that walked around on earth when he was in his earthly body, okay? Now, John goes on to describe the actions of this mighty angel or of Christ. Revelations 10, verse two. And in his hand was a small scroll that had been opened. He stood with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. I want you to picture, look at the mighty Christ here. He's got one foot in the ocean and another foot on the land. This is a colossal, magnificent being being described here. It's Christ, the resurrected Christ. One foot on the sea, left foot on the land. And he gave a great shout, like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. Now, when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, keep secret what the seven thunders said and do not write it down. Now, that bugs me. I want to know what they said, right? I want to know what they said. I mean, come on. But he was told you can't tell. Now, I'm going to make a guess. I could be completely wrong but I believe it probably had to do with the remaining judgments coming on planet Earth. And John was told, don't write down what you just heard. So he got seven thunders thundering and there was a message in them and we won't know what they were till we get to heaven. Maybe one of the first things I asked, what were those seven thunders? You know, tell me. Anyway, while we, in verses five to seven, the angel makes a sobering announcement. Here's what he says. The time is up. Time is up. God is now going to bring history to a close. Folks, there's going to be an end to this thing called time. There's going to be an end. History is not going to continue ad infinitum. It's not going to happen. The world had a beginning, Genesis 1-1. It will have an end. 
And here we're beginning to see he's being told time is coming to a close. Let's read it. Then the angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand toward heaven. He swore an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever. That's Christ, who created the heavens and everything in them, the earth and everything in it and the sea and everything in it. And he said, here you go, there shall be time no longer. Now the word here in the Greek, there's two words for time, chronos and kairos. Chronos means duration of time. Kairos means what a particular time period will look like. Uh, you use the word kairos to describe seasons, times and seasons. So kairos describes what a, what a slice of time, what a season of time is characterized by. But chronos, you know, we got chronograph, chronogram. It's just talking about the extent of time. It's chronos used here. And it, it, and it simply means that time is up, time is up. Time is coming to a close. You, 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 Earth's time is up. The time is up to repent. The time is up to get right. The time is up and we're about to go through the final moments of history and then it's coming to a close. It's almost like he's saying to the earth, your time is up. When the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. So now we're coming to the seventh trumpet that's about to blow. We've had the seven seals already open, six trumpets have blown, now we're coming to the seventh one. It'll happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets, John wrote. And as noted earlier on, seven is the Bible number for completion. That's what seven means. Eight is the number for new beginnings. Seven is the number for completion. Six is the number for man. Three is the number for God. So here we got seven. So he's letting us know things are about to be completed. The end time days designated as the days of the voice of the seventh angel with the seventh trumpet indicates that the last half of the tribulation is gonna quickly occur. The last half of the great tribulation is commencing right here in this chapter. And much of it is gonna revolve around the most important building in the world. And it's not the Empire State Building, sure wasn't the Twin Towers, it's no skyscraper on earth. You know what the most important building in the world is? The temple. And it's gonna figure big time in the last days. Watch this. We note that the mighty angel holds in his hand a small book. So Jesus, I believe, is holding this small book and it's already been opened. And verse eight begins, then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth so I went to the angel and said to him, this is John, going to the angel, give me the little book. Wow, you gotta be under a command of God to go to a being that's got one foot in the ocean and one foot on the land. He's colossal and say, hey, give me the little book. But that's what he does, because that's what God told him to do. So he says, give me the little book. And the being, the angel says, take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it's gonna be sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, talking to John, you must prophesy still, John, about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. That's the entire world. John, you're not done. 
You've got a second half of the book of Revelation to go. And you've got the final trumpet and you've got the seven bowls yet to go. So John, I'm letting you know, you got to keep prophesying to the peoples of the entire earth. And that's where this book of Revelation has gone, to the people of the entire earth. Amen. Now, clearly, this mysterious little book contains the events that are about to be described. John is to literally ingest it and absorb the information contained in the book into his whole mind and being. It's a perfect, beautiful picture of meditation. Meditation is you, you read it, and then you bring it back up again. It's the whole idea of a cow chewing the cud. You get that? The cow eats grass. It's kind of gross. He swallows it. Later in the day, he brings it back up, chews it some more. Everybody say gross. But meditation is when you read the Word of God, but you don't forget about it. When you read it in the morning, you don't just say, well, I read my Bible. But later in the day, we're to bring it back up and think about it and meditate on it. And, and it's when you mull on the Word of God over and over again that you're meditating. Amen? Before Pastor Jeff comes back to wrap things up for us today, I'd like to share a couple of important things with you. Let me encourage you to take a minute and check out our website, hardwired.org. You'll find today's program along with all of Pastor Jeff's messages. There's a growing list of great things to check out at the site. So hop on over and check it out, hardwired.org. That's hardwired.org. And be sure to tell your friends about the program. We know you're being blessed by it. I'm sure your friends will be as well. We're here to reach as many people for the Lord as we can. So getting the word out will help us on this mission. And that's what this program is all about. And Pastor Jeff's back now for the conclusion of today's program. I believe the dual sweet and bitter taste means that God's word is sweet, but the judgments of God are bitter. Amen. I read the Word of God every day. I go through the Bible once a year. I go through the whole Bible once a year. I've done it many years in a row. I don't do that to come over as super spiritual or to be able to brag about something like that because I'm not doing that at all. Uh, the reason I do it is to stay alive, okay? I know even if I weren't pastoring as a believer, I've got to assimilate that Word. I've got to do what John was told to do, literally ingest it. Think about what I've read. Mull over it. Think about what it's saying to me. I never read my Bible without a pen. My Bible is all marked up. I've had to come along with whiteout and white out some of what I marked up years ago so I got room to write more because I write in my Bible because, listen, paper and ink never forget. So I want to go back and see what I read in 2020 and, and say, here's what God said to me in 2020. What's he saying to me out of these verses today? Okay, so we're to ingest it. We're to assimilate it. We're to let it become a part of our being. Literally, the word of God. Can I have an amen? I mean, meditate on the word. So John does just that, and he experiences a sweetness as it goes in, just like we do sometimes. But you think about what you're reading, and you go, wow, that's bitter. Because hard times are coming on the world because they've rejected Christ. All right, so... We come to now the temple. As we begin chapter 11, it's important to note that from chapters 11 to 14, John seems to pause in the chronological sequential journey 
through the book of Revelation where one thing leads to another, leads to another, leads to another. You know, the seal judgments lead to the trumpet judgments. The trumpet judgments lead to the bowl judgments. There's a break in that sequential um, journey through for about three chapters, and he pulls in tight on some things that are going to be happening during the tribulation. It's like, how many of you have flown in? How many of you have never flown in an airplane? Anybody? Wow. I'm going to pray for you folks, and I'm going to get you a plane ticket. Two, two people. All right. But most of us remember, you take off. Remember with me now. You take off, and everything is zipping past you when you start to lift off that runway. Whoosh, 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 whoosh. But when you get way high up, it's like everything has stood still. You know, and you're just watching everything just glide by. But then when you come to land, you realize how fast you've been going because he hits and everything, zoop, zoop, zoop. All right, for most of Revelation, we're going zoop, zoop, zoop. But in 11 through 14, we're gliding. It's like there's a pause. Jesus is allowing us to slow down and see some close-up highlights of the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Now, this is very important. First, he focuses on the end time, catch this, everyone, rebuilt temple, which is crucial to the tribulation period. All right? Very important. Revelation 11, 1 to 2. Then I was given a measuring stick. Now, here's John. He's being handed a measuring stick in his vision. You know, a, a ruler, a tape measure. And, and I was told, go and measure what, everybody? the temple of God and the altar and count the number of worshipers. But do you know that by the time John wrote this, the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed? So there was no temple. It was gone when he sees this. Keep that in mind. And then he's told, and don't even count the number of worshipers, but don't measure the outer courtyard for it's turned over to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now, hang with me. I'm going to explain this. Everybody agree with me that you can't measure what's not there unless you're having a vision? Now, he's having a vision. And he says, I want you to measure the temple. So you know what he's telling us here? That clearly the temple must be rebuilt. The temple must be rebuilt by the tribulation period. It must be rebuilt. So I want to take a minute and give you a little bit of history of the temple. Every Christian ought to understand what I'm about to share with you. You ought to get this. Let's go all the way back to Father Abraham had many sons. And Abraham, follow me now, was told by God, you remember, to offer up his son Isaac, his only son. It was a picture of God offering up his only begotten son, Christ. He went where? He went to the top of Mount Moriah. And there the drama of Isaac being spared by the intervening angel takes place. And later, King Solomon ordered his engineers to literally cut the top off of Mount Moriah after a lot of time it elapsed, okay? Because now we're down to Solomon, all the way from Abraham to Solomon. But Solomon, when he went to build the first temple, he decided it's going to go on the top of Mount Moriah where Abraham offered up Isaac. So he, he ordered his engineers to, to cut the literally the top of Mount Moriah off. And in an amazing engineering feat, they accomplished it in order to build the first glorious Solomonic temple. It's almost like Abraham wanted the first temple to be as close to heaven as he could get it, right? 
and it became one of the wonders of the world. The original Solomonic temple, Solomon's temple was, was just, you, if you and I could see it today, we would be dumbstruck. We would not know how to describe what we were seeing. They didn't even use silver. There was so much gold. I mean, this was a architectural wonder on the top of Mount Moriah. Now, when the Jews were taken into Babylonian captivity, you remember Solomon's glorious temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. And it happened in 587 BC. 50 years later, construction of a new temple was begun in 537 BC. And after a 17-year pause due to persecution, work resumed in 520 BC. The second temple was completed in 516 BC and dedicated in 515 BC. Now, I know that's a lot of BCs that don't matter to you, but watch this. So 72 years after the first temple was destroyed, the second temple was rebuilt and dedicated. All right? You with me? Okay. Now, so here you got the second one. Now, remember, when the people that had been around for the first one saw the second one, the old men, they cried. Why did they weep? Because it didn't measure up to the first one. In its magnificence, in its glory, in its size. And they wept. It was sort of like, wow, look what we lost. We're never going to get back the original temple. But they were told, don't worry because the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the glory that was on the former house. Okay? Then you got this second temple. When was it destroyed? The second temple was destroyed in what year AD? 70 AD. It was destroyed by the Romans per the prediction of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Why was it destroyed by the Romans? Why did Jesus predict the destruction, not only of the temple, but of Jerusalem? because it was judgment. Judgment for what? Because they had rejected their Messiah. And not only rejected him, they murdered him. They carried him through kangaroo court. He was convicted on a pack of lies. They sent him to the worst manner of execution known to man at that time. He was hung on the cross, a totally innocent man. And the Jews had said, when Pilate tried to release him, they had said, his blood be on our heads and our children's heads and our children's children's heads. Oh my, oh my. Because this was Messiah, folks. This was God the Son. That's why it was destroyed. But in 70 AD, it was destroyed. So the second temple now is destroyed. Listen to what Jesus had said. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds right before he was crucified, he would never be in the temple again. After this verse, his disciples pointed out to him all the various temple buildings, but he responded, you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone is gonna be left on top of another. And when it was destroyed by the Romans and Jerusalem was wiped out and over a million Jews were slaughtered, starved to death and slaughtered, it was a ferocious judgment. The Jewish people that lived through it were scattered to the four corners of the earth. This is very important. Please follow this history with me. We've got to understand this as believers because it's going to bring us right up to today. They became a people, when this happened, 
without a country, exactly as Moses had predicted. Did you know that? Jesus predicted the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem. Moses had predicted the scattering. He said, Deuteronomy 28, 64 through 67, for the Lord will scatter you among all the nations from one end of the earth to the other. He's talking to Israel here. There, you're gonna worship foreign gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known, gods made of wood and stone. And there among those nations, you're not gonna find any peace or place to rest. And the Lord will cause your heart to tremble, your eyesight to fail, your soul to despair. We appreciate you listening today to Hardwired with Pastor Jeff Wickwire. Every program we do has one main thing in mind, and that's to share the hope and good news of Jesus Christ to people who need to hear this message and hardwire the teaching into their daily life. That's what this ministry is all about. So if you've been encouraged by the message, we would love to hear about it. Pick up your phone and give us a call at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. Or go online to our website at hardwired.org. And be sure to bookmark the web address to your favorites folder so you can come back often. Also, would you consider getting on board with us as a faithful ministry partner? Your valuable contribution makes a big difference to us in helping to get the message of the gospel out through this program to people everywhere. Your generosity along with this ministry is reaching people in a way that you may never have the ability to do on your own. So jump on board as a hardwired partner by calling us at 877-884-3111 or go online to hardwired.org, 877-884-3111 or hardwired.org. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you so very, very much. Have a great rest of the day and thanks for listening to Hardwired. Hardwired.